Oh sure, you can do it in Sakir, but can you do it in a warm evening in Jeddah? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. A warm, a warm evening, evening in Jeddah. Evening in Jeddah. That sounds like a film, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> what sounds like a nineteen twenties cult classic? Oh yeah, or twenty mm. cult classic. I was thinking you could have gone with on the F1 website their podcast preview. The headline is "Closer at the Corniche." Yeah. You know, uh, there you go. <laughs> why they paid the big bucks, you see, Angus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 4 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Clayable and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher and as we type the remaining loose ends of round 1 we also look forward to round 2 of the season this being the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So those who listened last week will know by ins and outs really mine and Tristan's thoughts as well on what happened in Bahrain two weekends ago. It's been that long believe me. Uh, but Angus you were absent you were away in big London town watching an entirely different sport. Listeners will know I'd be chomping at the bit to hear what you think about this. So, uh, please, what's your main takeaways from round one of this Grand Prix season? Round one, I would say that Max Verstappen looks very good. Um, I think George Russell saying that Max Verstappen and Red Bull win every race is a bit of an exaggeration, I think. But at the same time, they looked very strong. Um, and also the fact that Perez, in the previous years, you've had... Verstappen looked very strong and Perez kind of sort of not lag behind but not necessarily keep up the same pace but he was also looking very strong so ominous signs for the rest of the field um, Alonso what a trooper what an absolute trooper um, 41 years old which is he's 42 in four months time and yet he's at the top of his game um, his battles with Hamilton in particular were just like a throwback to 10 years ago Um and it's crazy because 10 years ago, if you said to me that these two would still be battling at the top of the Formula 1, I said, well, they'll probably both be retired by now. Um, but no, they're still going there. Uh, and Alonso, yeah, Alonso was absolutely brilliant. And a shout-out to Lance Stroll. I don't probably can count on one hand the number of times I've done that. Um, but his performance, yeah, with um, literally broken wrists and pins in his hand. And uh, clearly he's got a quick car for him to show his potential. Quite possibly, correct me if I'm wrong, the cricket quickest car he's had as a Formula 1 driver maybe bar the uh, racing point he had in the lockdown season but um, still he was able to show a brilliant performance um, Ferrari, Ferrari oh dear, Charles Leclerc straight away changes an engine and then that engine gives up on him within 39 laps of the race, I mean it's not ideal um, and also to add to what uh, one of our shorts covered last week, McLaren it's not looking good for them either. And I know they started the season last year in similar fashion, but they really do look like they're on the back foot. Um, slow and unreliable and having those operational problems in the race too. Um, but yeah, lots to take away. 
Um, and it's weird if it's or it's already been over a week since the first race, and yet we're not far away from round two already. Um, we'll see how uh, if the Red Bulls be dominant yet again. Absolutely, we will be, and it's it's interesting, really, because those those highlights you picked out there are pretty much identical to the ones um, that, that Tom and I um, spoke about last week. And please check our um, previous episode to hear our thoughts on that. And it's nice to hear another shout out for for Stroll. Your words there parodied Tom almost exactly, which was rather amusing to hear. Uh, he he has done a, a great job, and to be honest, I think he probably get better throughout the season maybe he can sort of bring the fight to Alonso nothing like a two-time world champion to uh, kick you in the right direction around the track although if you are going the wrong direction around the track then really something has gone terribly wrong um kind mm. of <laughs> maybe like looking at Bottas in 2020 uh 2020 in Turkey when he spent most of the race spinning in circles which was wonderful um <laughs> so yeah and he actually had a, a six seven time world champion um kicking him in the right direction so maybe it's not enough to make you go uh, get your act together sometimes although yeah that's the previous Bottas Bottas now is as seems to have turned into Bottas 4.0 which is the next evolution super Bottas if you'd like um it, it's interesting really because um if you look at what Williams um new team principal James Val says he says that um Alonso is the key factor behind Aston Martin's F1 success so I'm not sure if I'd agree with that I'm not sure if you two agree with that because clearly Stroll was able to get out um of the gates absolutely flying as well and and charge down the the pack to get a good result but I'm I wonder whether or not it is just short term and whether or not they can develop further because we know that um, Aston Martin or Racing Point, when they copied um, Mercedes, definitely had a fast car but couldn't really develop it. So I, I, I'm still I'm still on the fence whether or not Aston Martin are going to keep their success just because it's one thing to come out with a good car after winter testing. It's another one to, to develop it and progress it. So I think over the next four or five races, and Jed is going to be very very interesting given it's a very high speed circuit and that looks like it's going to advantage Aston Martin but going through the season it'll be very very interesting to see the picture that we're getting from Aston Martin whether or not Tom to quote from you it's a flash in the pan first uh, first race a bit like Haas last year or whether or not this is actually going to be the start of Aston Martin catching up with the likes of Mercedes, the likes of Ferrari. I think, yes, they've had a very good start to the season in terms of what they've done. You know, getting that on the podium after one race, comparing that to their round one last season is remarkable, really. Chalk and cheese. But I would still be very surprised if they're fighting for third place, let alone second, really. We know that Red Bull are going to be there or thereabouts in terms of, you know, the Drivers' Championships and the Constructors' Championship as well. I think, don't, don't discount Ferrari as well. They've clearly designed a, a fast car, a car that's not as reliable as previous, which is a shame for them, really, because they've been prided, really, for many seasons gone by, even when they were sort of down in the um, sort of lower echelons of the top 10, I believe 2020, if I'm not mistaken. They were still very reliable, so to see them having reliability issues compared to Red Bull, for example, Renault, now Alpine, is quite quite unusual but I think they'll be there for second and there's a lot of sort of I suppose drama going on at Mercedes at the moment in terms of war of words between Lewis Hamilton versus his team seemingly but I would still be very very surprised if Aston Martin were to beat them because there's no doubt that Alonso has helped the team in the short term in terms of designing a good car 
contrary to let's say his tenure with McLaren and indeed Alpine for example he didn't really sort of come in there and the car was shooting up but we can't forget as well the amount of money that's been ploughed in to Aston Martin by the Stroll dynasty if you will also as well the good appointments of Mike Crack for example I mean he comes with a great degree of sort of racing pedigree as well so Alonso is a factor but it remains to be seen how far they can go but any and all success can't be attributed purely to him in my view but um if they come forth that's a very good season I mean not to be scoffed at by any stretch of the imagination you see how well Alpine did last season for example to get there and beat McLaren how Racing Point you know, uh, Force India before them also did that as well and I think I would be surprised if we saw a smaller team in inverted commas break into the big three regardless of this more standardized rules and closer racing we're, we're told we're getting and indeed we are getting to be fair but uh, how about yourselves would you be surprised if Aston Martin were to, to break into the top three or do you think looking at that first race for example that's bordering on inevitable at this point? I think that Aston Martin are here to stay and here's why uh, a few reasons one I think that the fact Lawrence Stroll is pumping in so much money to the investment of the team. Um, think of the amount of money he's pumping into building this new factory, which they're going to move into, uh, moving away from their Silverstone base that used to be the the uh, the main the main uh, well the main base of Force India and Racing Point and Jordan before it. I think as well they are really sort of tapping into the F1 talent pool. So over the winter of 2021. Um, they hired Dan Fallows, who used to be the head of uh, aerodynamics at Red Bull. Um, not a bad person to hire. Uh, he was on gardening leave uh, for most of last year, and this car this year is effectively his first design. Um, has not turned out too badly, has it? Um, he's also uh, they've also managed to attract a couple of people on the aerodynamics side from Mercedes as well. So I think being able to have people who are able to switch across and have such belief in the project will surely lead to a domino cycle you will lead to or domino effect you will have people from other teams seeing how Aston Martin are doing going oh god I want to work there they seem like a team really on the up and they've got some brilliant people to work around um, so I think the more that happens the the higher the chance they'll have getting on the grid if they've got qualified aerodynamicists and engineers who'll be able to help progress their car the one thing I think maybe that might hold them back is Alonso's age. Now, of course, he's 41 years old. Um, I sat here last year going, oh, he's not got many more chances in F1. Why is he going to Aston Martin? They're ninth in the championship. Um, I was wrong so far. But um, I'm, it's, the same, it's the same thing which Alpine said last year. Alpine looked at him and went, well, how long is he going to be this good? Um, so my main question for them would be, if Alonso drops off, Lance, Lance Stroll is like, what, 25, 26? Clearly he's got, should he want it, should Dad want it, uh, many years left in F1. But my question would be, who do you replace Alonso with to keep Aston Martin potentially at the top? Because in my opinion, with the resources they have, with the funding that's been pumped in by the owner, with the talent they're, they're attracting, I think their prospects are looking pretty bright and they could be they could be the best chance of breaking into the top three if they haven't already, based on the first part of small first small part of this season. I think it's just going to be all about development, and you you are right that they've managed to acquire some interesting talent. Now, uh, I I think I I quoted this last week, but I I do so again because it's amusing and it's Dr. Helmut Marco, which um he's a uh, he's 
He's never afraid to say what he thinks, which is not always a good thing. Mm. But mm. he said that um, Aston Martin requires some Red Bull engineers, and they have a rather good memory. Now, actually, this week, it seems like Red Bull is, is backing down from those comments just a little bit. They're, they're not actually going to protest the car in any way, which for Aston Martin fans out there, you, know, you can breathe a sigh of relief. That the same thing that happened to Racing Point a few years back is not going to happen to Aston Martin when um, they ended up getting fined for uh, their brake ducts, I think, was what, what actually clinched it because you couldn't copy them visually. You must have had it through um, external data and being given the information. Anyway, the point is no one's going to protest the car. So I think even Red Bull admit that well, it's not quite similar as perhaps they thought. But the engineers know what the car is is. You know, how the car got there. That's a key difference, I think, this time, um, because they are, I think, some of the same engineers. But we know that the, to get be the best in Formula 1, you have to have everything correct. And that's part of the reason why they got Alonso, because he is still at the top of his game. It was part of the reason that he spent so long hiring those external engineers from other teams. Um, to be honest, I think if Aston Martin got... Um, and the Schmitz from Red Bull to head up their strategy. I think they'd be pretty formidable, but I'm not sure. I, I'm just. I think part of the issue is they Aston Martin have a horrible self-inflicting problem, which is that they they are never brave enough to sort of compromise Stroll. And there's going to be moments this season when Alonso's race is going to have to be prioritised, and sometimes Stroll's. I'm um, you know I don't think there's going to be any problem there but we are going to have a weird situation now where both Alonso is going to be expecting the two-time world champion treatment which he's so used to and Stroll and more importantly Papa Stroll is going to be expecting his son and, and Stroll's going to be expecting him to be you know driver number one and so we're going to get into a kind of a macho macho fight I think and uh, maybe mm. I'm wrong maybe maybe I'm wrong on this but that's going to be a weird dynamic, especially if, for example, Alonso starts doing really well. Or imagine if Stroll started doing really well against Alonso. That put make it very awkward for Alonso because I don't think he's used to that. And and to, to counter that, I don't think Stroll is used either to having someone so assertive as his teammate. So I think Aston Martin have all the right ingredients in, for, to make a fantastic car. If they were even if they're baking a cake, they've got the butter, they've got the eggs, they've got the sugar, they've got the flour, and and now they need to mix it all together and, and bake something delicious. But you know, Tom, I, I don't know about you, but I've baked some terrible cakes with the right ingredients. So just because you've got everything <laughs> perhaps in the, in the right in right order and on theory being brilliant doesn't necessarily mean you're going to execute it very well and it's the execution that really means something in this sport absolutely and we're seeing many a team rise and fall if you will mclaren alpine knocking on the door of that top three going look at us here we go we're going to break in we're going to show you who's boss here here comes a new era and then that doesn't really happen i think we're going to see that as well with aston mm. martin because we're seeing a lot of private investment come in from the stroll family but look at the stroll family there's only so long they're able to put that money in also compare that as well with the financial <coughs> firepower of mercedes ferrari alpine renault 
of course, formerly Renault, who are of course you know the biggest French car manufacturer. You've got Audi, who are going to who are going to uh, come in and replace Sauber, if you will. Red Bull, huge brands, and I fail to see even in this cost cap environment, going to go and break into that top three by securing the best talent, the best drivers, and everything else. We've seen many other teams previously pinch some really good talent. So, for example, you've got Pat Fryer going to Alpine, for example, from McLaren, a huge coup, but we're not really seeing that translate. So I think that Aston Martin could break into the upper midfield battle, if you will, to the fourth, fifth, sixth spot with McLaren formerly, with Alpine, with Alfa Romeo to become Audi, for example. But I, I fail to see how they're going to seriously break into a top three, which hasn't really changed in well decades, really. You've always seen uh, those two be that sort of Ferrari and then Red Bull and then Mercedes come in. And unless you're going to go and see a huge a turnover of talent there and a, a pull of money as well. I don't see how private investment from a Stroll dynasty, one family, is going to go and overturn that. But that's the beauty of these regulations, really. We're seeing now when a car can be created so well as Aston Martin have done, where clearly their practice and testing wasn't a fluke. That was something that um, they've translated in terms of one race, that you can move up and down the midfield within uh, some remits, if you will. But I'm still not convinced they're going to be able to break into the top three. But Maybe that's made better, though, by seemingly a sort of, uh, I suppose, dispute going on inside of Mercedes, for example. We've got Lewis Hamilton saying Mercedes didn't listen to him over the development of their 2023 Formula One car mm. after not a very good start, it's fair to say, for them when you compare that to seasons gone by, excluding the last, of course. But what do we make about what's going on with Mercedes again? We we spoke about it briefly last episode, uh, Angus, as I'm sure you know, but... um. Mercedes mm -hmm. making the same mistakes again. What do you make of their race? Not good, in a nutshell. Um, I'd agree about, yeah, it's almost summed up. And that's all I have to say. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. They, um, yeah, there's some, um, it doesn't seem very smooth at Mercedes at the moment because you have various different figures. You have Hamilton and Toto Wolff saying different things in public. Um, Hamilton thought the very eye-opening comment was, and we know Hamilton, we know Lewis Hamilton's a very honest man. Um, he's not afraid to speak his mind, which is a very admirable trait of his. Um, saying out in the media that uh, they had ignored, Mercedes ignored what he said, what his advice was on the car design, was quite a statement to make out in public. Um, and it suggests, yeah, a, uh, a fracas, a, uh, a disagreement in the team at the moment, um, rumours abound now that uh, Hamilton's been, been linked with Ferrari, as in a move to Ferrari in the next year or two, which I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about that personally. I've always seen him as a Mercedes. Yeah, I've always seen him as a Mercedes man. He spent his whole career driving a car with a Mercedes engine. He is part, very much part of the furniture uh, at that team, at that organisation. So I don't see him dri driving for Ferrari. Um, but yeah, very interesting how they... You sort of you thought you saw the end of last year, Mercedes winning that, that penultimate race of George Russell. It made you think, right, they're back on track. They've got their heads screwed on. It looks like this is going to signify the start of their recovery fully, and at the start of next year, they're going to be back at the business end. And we're ne we're never gonna we're gonna have forgotten all about Mercedes and their their lack of pace at various points from last year. Uh, not the case. Uh, they started this year slowly, six tenths off uh, the Red Bulls in qualifying, uh, behind an Aston Martin, um, in a car which 
I still I still love the fact that this this I find this so funny how Aston Martin used the same wind tunnel as Mercedes, but Aston Martin produced a better car in someone else's wind tunnel. That I can't like I find that, I find it hilarious, but also I can't get my head around it. Like, how would you not know your own wind tunnel well enough to? Produce a better car. I, I don't know. Um, do you know what it reminds me of Angus? If do you ever, if you ever introduce your mate to a sport and then they get better than you, yes. And yeah. like, you, on one hand, you have to feel like really proud of them. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really well done. And part of you also thinks, oh, for God's sake, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, how, how have you managed to ace this better than I have when I've had it for years? Um, that's probably what it feels like for Mercedes. Yeah, it's um bizarre situation. Um, but and I kept you know the thing is I kept saying this throughout. I spent probably roughly ten percent of podcast time last year saying, "Well, it's Mercedes, and if there's one team who can recover, it's Mercedes." And they never really did. So I'm I'm wary of saying that same thing again this year. Um, but yeah, a strange a strange start for them. Do you guys think they can recover from this? And I know it's a bit of a, a doomed day statement after race one, but what do you guys think to that? Do you know what was weird about um, the the opening Grand Prix? Right, it was the first, it was the first Grand Prix where the podium didn't contain you know, the two of the the big teams, so Red Bull, Ferrari, or Mercedes, mm. since two thousand and twelve. So two of them being on wow. it on it. So in the last one was two thousand twelve when we only had Sebastian Vettel. So it was McLaren in first and third. Um, ever since then, you've had two of the top teams on the podium for the opening race. Oh wow! And this one, and so this one was just really, really weird. It, it kind of felt like that. So you only had Red Bull, and then Aston Martin. So there you go. That's a, just an odd, a, a, an odd entity from this Bahrain Grand Prix. We're so used to seeing, you know, Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes on the on the podium, or Red Bull and mercedes or ferrari and mercedes and suddenly this time it's only red bull and out of nowhere aston martin so where's mercedes they're miles behind i I don't think they can recover i think everyone's admitting it in mercedes i think they've been very open about it i watched the uh open uh, conversation that mercedes had um on youtube about their 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 car performance (laughs) and there's kind of an element of well, we know it's not very good. It's not going to get better, but we're going to work from it and produce something going forward. And that that's admirable. But you know, I I think they are disappointed. To be to be clear as well, looking at some of the upgrades they're bringing, so they've uh, this tone of of like optimistic for the future but pessimistic about now um, is is continuing because they've announced that there's going to be upgrades coming to, for the for the next Grand Prix. And this is in line for the the big upgrades that are coming from Monaco. But they've said that even these upgrades are not going to get them anywhere near Red Bull. So, as I say, it's kind of... There's a very odd tone from Mercedes, an unusual tone. And we're not used to seeing them so pessimistic about their futures. It's kind of ironic, really, because at the end of last year... I don't know if you remember, Total Wolf said that they were going to get the the car, Lewis Hamilton's car, and they were going to put it in the factory as a reminder that not every season can go really well, or how much they need to work harder, and uh, a humbling experience. So I think they're going to have two cars in the the front of their um, factory by the end of this year. (laughs) 
Uh, yes, it is so sad to see, really. I mean, it's nice to see somebody else at the front of the grid to start with the Mercedes because they've dominated for so long on one hand. But then again, to see them seemingly make the same mistakes again is just so depressing, really. You've got George Russell, who's done his time, so to speak, with Williams, for example, back with a really dodgy car and brought it up, kicking and screaming to the point, think, oh, well, fair enough. You've done such a fantastic job. Here's your reward. Here's the Mercedes. And it just wasn't what it was, was it? I mean, that is so disappointing for him. Then with Hamilton as well, some say that he was robbed of that championship in Abu Dhabi. We won't talk about that, but you know which one I mean. And now he's once again not having a chance to redeem himself and to almost go and show how good of a racing driver he is. Because we always, well not us particularly, hopefully not anyway, but uh, there's many in the F1 community, casual viewers or expert viewers if you will, who go, oh, well, they're having an awful time in this car they must now be a really bad driver, which we can obviously see is not true when it comes to someone like Hamilton, for example. Alonso as well, compared to, uh, let's see how well he's doing in this race, at least, compared to seasons gone by. McLaren, he, he didn't become rubbish and then decide to be good again, but it sort of facilitates those lazy comparisons, if you will. And um, for Hamilton to be so clear, for there to be such clarity about they didn't listen to me, and when you couple that as well with the contract, not dispute, let's say, but a contract issue where pen has been put to paper and he's perhaps looking up elsewhere and going well where can I perhaps go in the back of his mind at least and thinking where can I go to to get a chance to get that eighth championship I don't know about you guys but I always thought the idea of Hamilton and Ferrari team yet would be quite a cool idea I remember when the McLaren days of sort of 2008-2009 and co were dwindling away and the, the wind was blowing in a different direction before he went to Mercedes I always thought that a, a Ferrari move was on the cards but can you see that happening at all could they for example go thanks signs but you know we really want to win something for once after ten, uh, after a decade or so, you know, many, many years. Do you think that could happen at all, or is that, quite frankly, impossible? I, I don't. I think there's as much chance of Hamilton going to Ferrari as there being a London Grand Prix. Rest in peace, London Grand Prix, the 14th of March 2023 to the 14th of March 2023. That was a real short news cycle, by the way, today. I'm not sure if you saw that. Um, everyone was speculating about a London Grand Prix and then they basically shut it down um, because it'd be a terrible idea. As I say, no, no chance. This speculation always comes out. Every couple of years we hear this. Ah, oh, um, Red Bull are looking at Hamilton. Ferrari are looking at Hamilton. I mean, they're probably looking at him. <laughs> but there's no chance he's going to move, is there, Tom? Not yeah, really. But, but would you rate it is my question. Would you support the idea uh, if Ferrari said, let's get him in, let's get signs out, let's win something? Fine. In the hypothetical situation where Ferrari is genuinely going to bring in Lewis Hamilton, I don't think... I would support it. I don't think... A, I don't think it would fit with Hamilton's expectations from a team. I mean, if he's disappointed with the (laughs) unreliability at Mercedes, wait till he tries Ferrari. The grass is not greener um, on the other side. Let me tell you that. And I think, in reality, it would be too much of a juxtaposition to his style of racing. Now... I could see, though, Lewis Hamilton going to another team if, if he wanted to exit Mercedes. Like, you know, a bit like how Kim Raikkonen sort of moved on and, and stuff like that. And Alonso did. And I could 100% see um, Lewis going to somewhere like Aston Martin or or even maybe McLaren. You know, and those sort of moves. But 
I those those are real. I think there is a compatibility there, and I think fundamentally Hamilton is incompatible with the Ferrari style. And I, I, you know, I just don't think he would enjoy that experience, and I think Ferrari wouldn't enjoy that experience either. I just don't. I can't see it being a good relationship. Would I rate it? Um, it would certainly, it would certainly shake up the pecking order in Formula One. Um, I think it'd be a very interesting move for Hamilton to try and take on the Max Verstappen uh, challenge from a different team, a different angle. But I just can't see it. I can't see it. I can't also see. Leclerc and Sainz leaving Ferrari yet? Like, yes, they've been they've been rumblings that team, and they don't necessarily have always the most perfect circumstances whilst they're there. But why would those two leave? They're in a top team, which they haven't necessarily been in their whole careers. So, uh, if I was them, I wouldn't take that for granted. So, I'd it'll be it'd be a nice thing to see, but yeah, I can't can't see it. Well, as we all know, some drivers don't leave of their own volition. They get dumped and pay millions of pounds. But there we go. Uh, um, Is that the right. Daniel Ricciardo? Exactly. Exactly <laughs> that. You know, so. I think he's in a great position, though, Tom. Really. I, I, yeah, I think I, you know, that's, a, that's a great opportunity for Ricciardo not to, not to drive McLaren's car and be paid lots and lots of money um, to do it. And to drive Red Bulls, uh, you know, now and again, and to go and sit there and enjoy the the race, being paid yeah. a handsome sum. I mean, I've heard of worse jobs personally, but there we go. Yeah, absolutely. He's a good ambassador um, to the sport, I think, Ricardo, and I think that's the kind of role he's going to settle into going going forward, just for a bit, maybe. Um, I saw he was doing some rounds on some of the larger um, talking head shows in in the US, um, and it, he is actually. I've forgotten how funny he is when he's not got the pressure of. Ah, you need to get points in a car. You know, you you suck. That sort of tones that are, that are um floating around him, or they were floating around him at the end of last year. It was really nice to see that happy, chappy, funny. As I say, like a, a great ambassador for the sport. Um, going forward. But I think for if we can, I would like to talk about Ferrari just a bit, and I think it's quite a nice segue talking about um, whether or not Hamilton would ever go there to Ferrari itself. Um really kicking off because we didn't talk about Ferrari much and I think that was you know sort of tactically we wanted to let the dust settle because it should have been a reasonable start for Ferrari with Leclerc challenging for second place or even just the opening level or you know, opening podium it, it kind of ended in a, in a bit of disaster and I wonder Angus because we you haven't really spoken about this just yet whether you think that this is just going to be the inverse of Ferrari's opener to last year, I, you know, they started brilliantly last year and ended up tailing off and getting, you know, going pretty badly, um, or whether or not this is just the start of, of things to come. Now, Ferrari, Ferrari's um, team principal, Fred Vasseur, has, has ordered a full investigation into Leclerc's DNF in Bahrain, so I'm not sure if that brings you any more confidence. Well, didn't they order a full investigation to anything that happened last <laughs> yeah, year? That's what I wondered as well. How did that, how did, <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> uh, I don't know. To be fair, I think Fred Vasseur, or as one of you guys called him last week, Big Fred. I don't think he's ever been referred to as that, possibly. But there we go. I, I, I remember picking that out. Um, I mean, he's. I feel like, at least on the outside, he's got his head screwed on which a lot of people at Ferrari don't necessarily seem to have always. Um, he's got that team principal experience. He's wise. He's been in the F1 paddock for a while. Um, 
and he's also known as quite a blunt, um, honest man. So he will not be afraid to... When he wants a full investigation, let's say, he will get a full investigation. Um, so I, th- to be honest, I think the Ferrari now find themselves in a position where a couple of years ago when they dropped off into the midfield, we were sort of awaiting their resurgence and their return to form to the top of the field. And when they did, we all thought, ah, well, they're going to sweep everything before them now. And that wasn't an unrealistic expectation after the start they made last year. But I think we now we now might just have to accept Ferrari are like they're they're very good, but they're not the best. Like they quite I think there is there's a high chance whilst Aston Martin made a strong start, I think the likelihood if you said to me who would finish second behind Red Bull, Ferrari or Aston Martin, I'd put my money on Ferrari right now. Um And I think that's just the it's just the case that they are very good. Like they've got a very good driver lineup. Their car's not awful. Like, they weren't too far off the pace in qualifying in uh, in Bahrain. Three-tenths off for Leclerc, four-tenths off for Sainz. Um, it's just Red Bull had a little bit extra, which Ferrari couldn't really cope with. Um, so they're not, they, haven't got, like, they haven't got a bad car. They'll win a couple of races this year, a few races maybe. But they're just not the best. And I think that... We have this, as F1 fans in general, we have this expectation of, well, anything but the best for Ferrari is an absolute disaster. It's dreadful. It's like cataclysmic. But it's not really. It's not. I think you could find yourself in a situation where in a couple of years they are the best. But right now they are second best. Um, Yes, it doesn't help that they um, had that reliability issue with Leclerc's car in Bahrain. And it straight away puts them on the back foot. Um, if you are looking at it from the title challenge view, they are straight away twenty five points behind Verstappen, um, which is not you don't want to get you you don't want to give Verstappen a fifty point deficit, let alone twenty five point head start if you're up against him. But like, yeah, I think Ferrari they're, they're not they're not bad. They're just like they're just not the best. They're doing all right. Like we can say well done to them. They'll have the second best car, but I think because it's Ferrari, people go up in arms if they're not dominating the field if if it's not if it's not like it was when Michael Schumacher was at the team everyone declares how Ferrari have lost their mojo and that they're awful and how will they ever recover but I think that we've got to maybe cut them a bit of slack which is easier said than done but yeah they um they're not doing too badly and I think that that will become clear maybe over the next few races but yeah we'll have to see starting in uh the Corniche Saudi Arabia this weekend Mm. I get the impression with Ferrari not only in this season but seasons gone by as well they enjoy being the underdog versus the favourite I think we saw last season when they dominated uh, proceedings how in many aspects be that on the paddock or elsewhere they sort of crumbled under the pressure a bit compared to Red Bull who have been so used to battling at the front and I think Hopefully they've learned a lesson for that, really, because it's the first time they've been fighting for race wins, fighting for both championships as well in, well, ages, really. There's a flash of it in 2019, but that was a bit too little too late. You then had to go all the way back to 
well, the mid-2010s, if not before, really, to the last time they were seriously competitive at their sort of the cutting edge of the sport in terms of winning the entire thing, both championships, races galore, everything. So I'm hoping that last season was a, a learning experience for the team and that the recruitment of Fred Vasseur and the unfortunate uh, deposition, if you will, or deposing of uh, Mattia Bonotto was a necessary thing to do. I think if you see the same mistakes being repeated, then perhaps you need to go and look further at the hierarchy of Ferrari to go and see where where the rot is and why they're not doing so well because they're such a huge brand they've got so much money behind them they should at least be fighting for p2 if not p1 i think they'll be there this season again they seem to have a sort of quiet confidence about them this season compared to last season i think it's fred versa himself who said oh well no need to worry about Leclerc's power unit issues and him failing in dnfing because we would have beaten alonso anyway so that's not a problem now, it remains to be seen whether that is hyperbole, whether that's a great rhetoric, or whether that is actually based on data and what we're going to see moving forwards. But not a great start for them, I think it's fair to say. But, hey, we were saying the same thing about uh, Red Bull this time last year, how the Red Bull powertrain wasn't fit for purpose. Ah, oh, they've failed now. They've got rid of Honda. Look at them crumble. They don't know what they're doing, and they won both championships convincingly. Alfa were fine in terms of what they did with reliability as well. So... Very difficult to make a judgment after one race, but I think that we're going to see them comfortably being second. And if anyone's going to compete with Red Bull for either championship or both, it's going to be them. So um, for the sake of a competitive sport, for the sake of entertainment, for the sake, for the sake of excitement, I think that um, part of us have all got to be rooting for Ferrari. Otherwise, it'll be a, a walkover again. So fingers crossed that's not the case. Is that true, though? Do you think we do have to be rooting for, for Ferrari for first place? Because... I, I think, and maybe I'm just being very pessimistic, I think we'll be, I think we'd, we'd have a much more exciting race and season. So I think each race will be more exciting and, and the season as a whole will be more exciting. If Ferrari, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Alpine, come on Alpine, do something. Um, uh, you know, all fighting for second place. I I just can't see them have, making up that deficit. And the deficit is massive. Let's not forget that in qualifying, all the teams at the end went, nah, we won't do another lap. We'll just we'll just lock in the fresh tyres. And Ferrari said, there's no problem with Leclerc's car. Ha, <laughs> the irony. Um, but the reason Leclerc didn't do another lap was because we wanted him to have fresh tyres for the start of the race so that they would catch the de- deficit to Red Bull. Well, that just never happened. So clearly there is a huge speed gap, a massive delta between second place and first place. So if Red Bull were just going to go out and win it, at least we could have is a fight for second place, right? So I I want everyone fighting for second place. I don't really care if Red Bull fly off and they've obviously got wings at the moment and uh, (laughs) run away um, into first place. As long as second place, third place, fourth place is, is much more competitive. I think... You know, that's the kind of season I'm expecting now. And to be honest, I think that's the kind of season that we're so used to getting in Formula 1. I apologise to any fan that joined us in 2021 and expected a continuation of that. Because, you know, I've been watching this this sport for going on 20 years now. But 15 years I can actually properly remember. And there's only been two or three seasons that that were that good. I mean, definitely, yeah. 
I've always had a soft spot for Ferrari, maybe that bled through in my last comment, but I think realistically speaking, we're all hoping for a fight for wins, aren't we? We're hoping that another team will rise up and challenge Red Bull, if not defeat them entirely, in some races at least. I mean, I can't say I've got really any dog in the fight in terms of who I want to win the championship, for either the drivers or constructors, but that's what we're all aiming for. And many people go, oh, well, you really should be uh, sort of rooting for Aston Martin. Well, I... To, to go back to my previous comments, I think they are a bit of a flash in the pan. I think we're going to see them fall back and Mercedes beat them. And Ferrari seemingly are the only ones who can carry a, a fight to Red Bull. We saw the start, how well they did there, um, getting off the mark and how well they qualified after many saying they were neither here nor there. So I understand your comments entirely, but I think the optimist in me says Ferrari are the only ones who can carry a fight to Red Bull. The realist in me says they're the only ones who can also carry a fight because I don't see seemingly from this one race a very small sample size any other team being able to carry it to Red Bull compared to them because you've not only got the quality of car but also the driver pairing as well to parrot myself again I think that Ferrari have got one of if not the best pairings on the grid so if you couple that with a let's say below par car versus last season that's going to go and help you out to some degree versus if you have a great car and Let's say one driver that's brilliant and one driver that's not so great, which I'm not saying for a moment is Red Bull at all, really. But um, it helps to have a solid driver pairing. So, um, yeah, I hope the Ferrari carry the fight. But I am also realistic in knowing that Red Bull will probably, if things are to carry on, wrap most things up. So, yeah. Optimism is definitely something, Tom, that you you do not lack. Given, who, remind me again of your uh, team of choice. Oh, us. Yes. Yeah, the cast one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think you've got Rebel to be me. an optimistic person who <laughs> Well, exactly. You know, I, I like the plucky underdog, which Ferrari also seem to be, or at least their power cars are at least. So there we go. But um, yes, we now got Grand Prix action next week as well. After that sort of short break, we started up, then you know things fell off again. And here we are again to Saudi Arabia to round two of this season's calendar. So we're looking forward to this Grand Prix. But looking back, we're going to do that at least. Um, Perez got pole in 2022. Verstappen won from P4. Believe that are not only half a second ahead of Leclerc, uh, but less of history and more about uh, things coming up. So Angus, who have you got your eye on this weekend for a good reason? Or a bad reason, or indeed both. I think Alonso, just because he's uh, to a certain extent he's box office. He uh, he brings in the eyeballs. He uh, he makes you want to watch Formula One and see what he's doing. I mean, I've said this already. He's a literal forty-one-year-old man driving racing cars for a living and being very good at it. What's not to like? Um, but if you look past him, I think just in general the Aston Martin team, seeing if their pace is a flash in the pan. Uh, seeing if they're able to keep up the momentum uh, that they have arguably already established based on the first race. Um, for perspective, they got 55 points last year in 22 races, and this year 23 points in that first race. So <coughs> clearly, we need to see whether pace is sustained. Um, and I think it's. It's a weird one this weekend because the Saudi Arabian circuit is is unique compared to every other f circuit on the Formula 1 calendar. Fast street circuits, night race, um, different climates, a lot of the races on the calendar, um, tight walls. It's not a circuit where you go, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a quick car because it was quick in Jeddah. Um, it's more of an anomaly, but I s you still will get 
some sort of pecking order based on what's happened early in the season, I reckon. Uh, the question will be, will Aston Martin be uh, near the top of that pecking order again? The other one would be, um, I think I'm going to go with a different one. I see uh, Alex Albon slipping in there in a cheeky 10th place in uh, in Bahrain, uh, having qualified 15th, head of, uh, well, you'd expect him to be head of his teammate, his rookie teammate, but head of a... A Haas, a McLaren, an AlphaTauri, and Alpine in qualifying. In the race, he finishes ahead of two AlphaTauris, two Hasses, an Alfa Romeo, and a McLaren as well uh, in Lando Norris. So, that car has something to offer. I mean, clearly there was a, a, good, uh, a good race strategy slash a reasonable pace from the Williams in... Uh, barring maybe Tristan, they are going to finish seventh in the constructors' championship. Who knows? That's where they that's where they currently are after the first race. Um, so they could do it. Um, but no, I think it'd be interesting to see if that if that pace lasts, um, or if it's again just like a flash in the pan, and they've got had a com a, a lucky combination of good strategy and uh, a bit of luck or the, luck of the draw in the first race. And I'm going to throw one more in there, McLaren. Are they awful, or did they just have an awful one-off race? That's really key. Um, I feel like they really have to have a big weekend. I remember last year, they um, they had an awful weekend in Bahrain, and then they came back in Saudi Arabia. I think either Norris or both Norris and Ricardo got points in Jeddah. In what was a bit, it was a bit of an attritional race, but they still managed to bag some points. So that would be a very good uh, answer to the question marks around them, where they get points. But it'd be interesting to see if that'll be the case, and or whether they are really in trouble. Good question about, um, yeah, whether, whether or not they're in trouble. I'm not I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's very difficult to extrapolate across the whole season, but there are, Saudi, Saudi Arabia and, and the Jeddah track is, although it's quite similar to Bahrain, it's even faster. And when we were looking back at, la, at the race um, last week, it was very interesting to see that the, the Aston Martin seemed to have an absolute pace um, on the car. Top speed was it was its real key. And this track is mostly taken at full throttle. That's just that's just how it's designed. They've had they've actually had to make it a bit safer this year. So they've um, improved visibility and things because the first round was was awful. It was incredibly dangerous actually. And and last year wasn't much safer. But who have I got my eyes on? Well, I've got my eye on Ferrari. Ferrari last year proved that they had top speed pace and they definitely had good pace this year. It'll be interesting to see whether or not Red Bull's advantage falls off um, at just the overall speed that you need. Ah, I'm a pun, I didn't even know it. Um, speed that you need hmm. at Jeddah um, to be successful. In addition to that, Aston Martin, there's no way we're not going to be all watching Aston Martin here. It'll be very interesting to see how their car, which again has an excellent top speed, excellent pace, handles the track. And also Red Bull, I think it's going to be more of a fight this, this weekend than perhaps it was last weekend. I'm I'm hoping that this track favours some of the other the cars a little bit more. I think um, from what I've seen, Red Bull themselves have said that this won't necessarily um, favour their car as much. So hey, uh, it'd be great if we could see a three-way fight there. And and you know I do think it's going to be Ferrari, not Mercedes, taking the fight to Red Bull. Um, unfortunately, though, I've also got my eyes for all on the the wrong reasons. Firstly, on Mercedes, I 
their car starts to suffer when it gets up to proper speed and that the fact that it's it's incredibly draggy they had to counter their overall um, dragginess i apologize for the lack of technical terminology um by having a, a smaller rear wing um in in bahrain and this is just going to be more of the same in addition to that i'm going to be watching mclaren i think they've got a lot of work to do to prove to their sponsors and their fans that they've they've got a car that's that's worth racing and let's not forget they've also got to prove to piastri that he made the right choice going there to alpine so yeah sort of we've got some highs we've got the three highs there and then the two lows as well and you know from this i think i'd like to also start working out where everyone's going to fit in the midfield maybe tom your optimism about Haas is well founded and they will uh, continue to prove that their only way is up Indeed, and uh, some would call me a bit niche, others say I'm not. But anyway, I'm looking at Alfa Romeo and Alpine, because I think we're yet to really see what they have to offer, what they're about, and whether they've got good cars or mediocre cars, really, because we've seen both cars have a situation where one driver has scored decent points and the other's DNF'd or practically DNF'd in terms of how low they're finished in terms of a lack of points. So I don't know where they're going to sit, because we saw Alfa Romeo and indeed Alpine show glimmers and signs of hope and optimism uh, in testing and in practice as well but they haven't really fully flourished so is this something where it's just a sort of poor curtain raiser for them not great at Bahrain that's fine things are going to get better in the next 2022 next 22 races sorry but or is it not that maybe perhaps it's a sign of things to come in terms of they're not going to be in for a good season. Fifth and sixth is probably where they're going to be, which I think if you're Alpine going from fourth to sixth is a real downgrade. Fifth for Alfa Romero isn't bad, but if you've got someone like a... a Audi coming in, for example, you want to go and show them why they're worth investing in you and what you have to offer, really. And someone like Bottas, I suppose, well, wants to be, be sort of be fighting up with uh, the best teams and um, at least having a chance, then riding round and round and round like, I suppose, Kimi Raikkonen did and Giovinazzi did, uh, not doing so well. So things for them to show there. And I think that um, we'll get a bit more of a picture in terms of how they do at power circuits versus street circuits. But um, yes, interesting one, because you've got one driver in, I suppose, Gasly doing very, very well after coming into the, the team for the first time, his debut for the team, and Ocon, the more experienced one, making the mistakes. And then Guan Zhou as well, who showed signs of doing well last season but now he needs to go and translate that into consistent point scoring if indeed Alfa Romeo are going to climb up that leaderboard and get that P4 which I boldly predicted they would of course. So just to sort of round off the um, the podcast a bit I, I want to hear if you were betting um, for this race and please don't take our advice uh, as anything other than pure speculation but if you were betting men Who's going to win? Ooh, Perez. Why? All lines will be on Verstappen, and I think he's got a history of doing very well at Saudi Arabia in, te- in terms of, I suppose, his qualifying, for example. And he did quite well last race as well. He's not going into this one of a slow start as he was last season. So I think he's got the best car, and I think he's a very competent driver, and he's going to go and surprise a few. The obvious option would be to go, to, go, to, to go for Verstappen, but I reckon he has the shortest odds in F1 history to win this weekend, such as his superiority. Um, so I'm actually going to re- refer to my bold prediction, um, and I'm going to say that, <laughs> and I'm going to say that Fernando Alonso will win in Saudi Arabia this weekend. The Aston Martin 
The, the Aston Martin's looking strong. Alonso's in brilliant form. Um, he's got the wiliness. The you might say he's streetwise. <laughs> he's gonna be able to uh, uh. conquer the uh, thin walls and the uh, the tight twisty turns and fast corners of Jeddah. Um, and I think there's gonna be a party in Aston Martin on and their new factory when it gets built on Sunday night because I think Alonso's gonna win. There's two very interesting predictions there. One vastly more <laughs> ambitious than the other. Um, but <laughs> uh, uh, do you know what? They just, just because I think it, the easy choice would be Verstappen, and maybe that's the the choice that the sensible um, man would take. I'm I'm going to say Leclerc. Ooh. I think. I think if there's anyone that's going to bring the challenge, it's going to be Leclerc. And whilst all the listeners, I'm sure, will be saying, and probably rightfully so, it's going to be Max Verstappen, I think it's going to be Leclerc. That's why I've got my money at the moment. I think Red Bull is going to end up getting into a fight with someone. Verstappen isn't one to back down from a challenge. And I'm I'm thinking maybe Alonso, Red Bull, crash, turn one, Leclerc sails through, Carlos Sainz's car uh, breaks down halfway across, um, <laughs> halfway through the race. Um, but Leclerc sails on to, to a final victory for Ferrari. Um, you know, it, it, I don't think it's, it's out there. And uh, I don't know, George Russell on the podium in third place because all of that. There you go. That's, that's a, a summary Ooh, of wow. that. Of a, of a quick prediction there but fundamentally I think it's going to be Charles Leclerc if anyone's going to win that's not Max Verstappen I think it's going to be him I would love that I mean I remember as well looking back at the highlights of last year's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix the fight between Verstappen and Leclerc was something quite to behold wasn't it really in terms of the DRS chicken as was dubbed both cars having it and uh, sort of egging the other one on saying oh go on Break now, break now. I'll break later. And um, a great racing spectacle. I'd like to see that more moving forwards because we saw how respectful they were as well. It wasn't nasty, as was the case between, let's say, Verstappen and indeed any Mercedes car, including Lewis Hamilton. Um, It was far more uh, filled with etiquette, if you will, in terms of how they went about their business. So I'd like to see that. And it brings in a lot more spice than a a Perez fight with Verstappen, for example, because that's quite contained and controlled. And it's not really a live, real fight, because obviously one can get on the the radio to the other and go, oh, no, we're not going to do that, or give them more space, or this, that, and the other. And it takes the fun out of it, really. But, um, yeah, I suppose throwing someone like Fernando Alonso into that fight would be quite interesting. Remains to be seen whether he can challenge the Red Bulls because I still think he's somewhat behind them and fighting more Ferrari. But um, to see any type of fight at the front of the grid will be fantastic. But I suppose flipping the coin as well and looking at the the sort of wooden spoon territory of the grid, the last few places we've got AlphaTauri, Haas, and McLaren all on nil point. Um, which team is going to go and score points first? Are they going to go and score it this weekend, or will they have to wait? McLaren are going to score first, but they're going to have to wait. I think that they will get close to the the, the points, but I, I think they're going to get pipped at, at the post. I think it has to be the team from America. Uh, I'm banking on, I don't know, maybe a nice little Hulkenberg in the points this weekend or a Magnussen. Could be some attrition, could be some retirements. Around the streets of Saudi Arabia, you know, tight walls. It's a tough race in 
uh, tough conditions as well. Last year's Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, there were seven retirements from the race, or six, because Mick Schumacher didn't start the race because of his qualifying crash. But yeah, six retirements, a third of the field did not make it to the end. Um, so maybe a cheeky Haas in the points. Who knows? That could be a could be on the menu. I think they'd be more likely than the inexperienced Alpha Tauri Geo or the uh, the the bereft McLaren. Hmm, interesting. I actually think that Alpha Tauri will get it first. I think they'll get it this weekend with one hmm. Nick De Vries because he did remarkably well. Really, his debut there with Alpha Tauri, who I think Alpha Tauri, it's fair to say, aren't going to be fighting for many race wins or indeed podiums this season, putting it politely. But I think that Nick De Vries once again showed how adaptable he can be in adverse circumstances. We saw how well he did with Williams, for example, after just one race, having that one shot, if you will. Many say, and I think rightfully so, it was that display in that car at that time that got him the seat at Alpha Tauri. And I think he's already starting to repay that because we're seeing a P11 to start with. We saw how instrumental he has been in a car that currently sits uh, eighth place in the Constructors' Championship, which is, you know, not amazing, but it's far better than last season when they were floundering at the bottom. So I think he'll get that. But um, yeah, it's not going to be a huge amount of points, but I think he's got the the quality and the temperament to avoid a crash and to, yeah, sort of get some reward for his hard work in many ways, but remains to be seen. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode four of F1 and Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. As we said so many times this episode, we've got the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix coming up this weekend, qualifying again on Saturday, that being 5pm UK time, and the race being on Sunday. Once again, 5pm if you're watching, listening or observing in the UK. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok as well. I handle being F1 in review and as ever we'll be back to go and discuss the fallouts, the highs, lows and what's uh, came of the Grand Prix and what's to come really of this season next week so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then <laughs>